Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Lisa Hurwitz, co-founder and president of Happy, the first THC infused beverage to launch in the state of Michigan. Lisa, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. It's awesome to be here with you. Thanks for having me today. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, there's so much to talk about, so I want to make sure uh, we start out by talking about Happy. Uh, I want to give some airtime to Happy on the front end. So, can you tell us a little bit about your company and uh, just kind of the footprint and kind of where you guys are headed? I just want to make sure we cover this on the front end here. Yeah, thanks for that. So, Happy is a microdose uh, infused beverage. We launched um, at the end of 2021, so we're brand new on the Michigan market, first to market in Michigan, which is pretty exciting. It's a pretty highly regulated state, um, and it's an awesome cannabis market, so thrilled to be first on the market there. Happy comes in three flavors currently, um, and we are all natural, vegan, and no more than 25 calories. So really, we wanted to create a beverage that was very accessible, and particularly and we'll get in. I know you're going to dig into my personal story, and I love that. Um, but really, you know, had kind of the female consumer in mind, someone who's more of a microdose consumer who, you know, wants something in the afternoon or the evening to relax, may want an alcohol replacement, you know, that glass of wine or typically the beer or a cocktail, and still be able to really participate in the social conversation. So we have some really exciting innovation plans um, for Happy coming down the pipe, um, but primarily we started in this social space and, and really with that female consumer in mind, someone who's kind of health and wellness minded, and again, who's looking for you know, to have fun, but doesn't really want to wake up the next day with a hangover or have like a heavily sugary drink. Um, and what we've seen on the market across the U.S. in kind of this cannabis infused space primarily is high calorie, high THC, very high in sugar. And we really wanted to formulate something that was all natural, vegan and very healthy. So that's that's the happy, happy um, backstory. Love it. I love it. And you're speaking my language too. So I must be more female than male if it's a female brand, because it sounds amazing. And I can't wait to, uh, to try it at some point. From, from your perspective, what else, what makes, what else, I guess, makes the happy culture and brand unique? I mean, I just want to kind of, kind of yeah. pump this out a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, besides the fact that we, you know, really feel as though we have the healthiest beverage on the market, we're also, what's interesting to me about the beverage space, and it's very nascent in cannabis now, as you probably know, um, it, it, you know, no one has really gone after sort of need states and, and specific occasions. So you're going to see that come from happy. We all are sort of playing in this alcohol replacement social space. But what we know is consumers have a lot of needs and they're using cannabis for a lot of different you know, um, types of occasions. And so the brilliant thing about happy as a brand, it could be celebratory, happy birthday, happy Mother's Day, but it can also be happy dreams. You know, I need something to take the edge off before sleep or happy unwind, right? That end of the day, I just want, instead of having a beer or a glass of wine, I just want to be able to kind of relax and chill. And it doesn't always have to be a social occasion. So I think where we're going to go and what's going to make happy feel pretty different is we're also looking at matching formulations with need states. And what's also been fascinating to me, and I have a CPG background and come from, you know, like a long lineage of kind of innovation is most of the beverages on the market today are formulated with some form of THC and CBD. And we started with THC only, um, but we are looking very heavily right now and working on formulations. There's just so much in the minor cannabinoid space that's untapped in the world of infused beverages. So you think about CBN for sleep, or you think about THCV, or you think about CBG. And so we're really looking at matching formulations to kind of future need states. And the happy brand is extensive enough that it can be this sort of social occasion partner for you, but it can also be something that's more about other occasions you have in your life 
where you know a beverage would be the perfect place to fit in um, into that occasion. All right, thanks for sharing that. And um, I'm going to start jumping in a couple different ways here. Uh, let's first get into how you professionally got into the cannabis industry. Um, you know, from your prior background in cannabis, which is amazing and makes a ton of sense, like being an executive search uh, recruiter at heart. Um, you know, the, the path that you've taken and the background you have is obviously been uh, very helpful for you, I'm sure, in cannabis. We'll get into a little bit of that. But uh, one of the things that stood out for me between the last time we talked and now is your profile says from toilet papers to rolling papers, which I love. But tell me, I guess, first question, what pushed you over the edge to leave Kimberly Clark to go to grassroots? I mean, I think that was a significant moment to say, hey, I'm leaving Kimberly Clark and I'm jumping in the cannabis industry. So talk about that. What, what, how did you make that decision? Yeah, and, and I love that question. And, and um, yeah, toilet papers, rolling papers, which is my headline on LinkedIn, gets a lot of a, a lot of attention, which is fun. And it is actually true. I mean, I really did work in toilet paper and then move over to rolling papers and even did a, stamp, a stint in bamboo toilet paper. I was an advisor to a sustainable toilet paper company. Um, so what really pushed me over the edge was, you know, in 2017, I um, started to have a lot of health issues personally. I turned 40 that year, so I'm going to date myself. I'll tell everyone on your podcast how old I am. <laughs> and I, you know, it, things just became more difficult, right? I, I had done a lot of long haul international flights when I was at Kimberly Clark. I was in global marketing, used to be able to do that with ease with two young kids. It just, it just got to be too much. Um, and what really suffered was my sleep. Um, and I'll be really transparent. I, I was, you know, an Ambien user. I think a ton of people out there are. Um, it's something that, you know, doctors prescribe very regularly. And I could tell that the sleep deprivation and, you know, the kind of pharmaceuticals I, were I was taking had an impact on my health. And so I started this journey in the summer of 2017 to become healthier overall, um, to, to kind of wean myself off of and the pharmaceutical, um, you know, the pharmaceuticals that I was taking. And it led me into Canon, um, walked into several dispensaries without knowing what I was asking for, other than I wanted something that would help me sleep. And the, the first bud tender said, well, here's an RSO, Lisa. And if anybody's ever taken an RSO, if you're not a cannabis user, that's a pretty strong dose for a first time user, right? So I, you know, I was not someone that was a, a heavy smoker in high school. You know, if you talk to my parents, they think it's hilarious that I'm in the cannabis industry because that was never something that I was interested in growing up. It just really wasn't on my radar. So I took this RSO, couldn't get out of bed for two days and quit educate myself that for, for women like me, 40 year old with two children, you know, not I was going to need um, to really educate myself on what the options were for me in cannabis. And that's started my personal journey throughout 2017. And when I, you know, got into the cannabis space and started to see the products and brands on the market. And again, this was a nascent medical market in Illinois at the time. I, I put my CPG hat on and said, whoa, there's a huge marketing opportunity here. There's a huge product development opportunity here. There's a huge, you know, this industry is going to be massive as we see more states adult, you know, legalize adult use. And as, as the consumer, I just saw the opportunity and um, I got, you know, the opportunity in the summer and fall of 2018 to meet the team at Grassroots, who at the time were more of a single state operator in Illinois, starting some operations in both Pennsylvania and um, Maryland, and just got really excited about the opportunity to, you know, build a, not only build a company, build Grassroots, but truly build a category from the ground up. And I still feel that way. I, I still you know, look around the cannabis industry today and obviously having had the MSO background for several years and now being on more of kind of the brand and the nascent beverage side of the industry, I still think we're really max in the first or second inning. And that excites me. And it excites me as a marketer, as a business person. And, um, you know, it keeps me in the industry for sure every day. Love it. What an amazing story. 
I guess the next question, uh, just topic to bring up that I don't think many people talk about, you and I started to talk about it in, in our prior conversation, but the how come more people aren't talking about cannabis as a pharmaceutical replacement? I mean, it, it, like there's, I, there's all, I know a lot of stories personally, I, I, same way for me, there's, there's certain things that it, it has helped replace, but I mean, it, what, it, from your perspective, I mean, why is that not more talked about after now working in, in as for an MSO and now obviously, you know, uh, driving happy? So I think, you know, the pharmaceutical piece, I, I still fundamentally believe, and it's, it's really interesting that both on the cannabis side and on the pharmaceutical side, there's, there's a lot of shame and stigma around mental health. And I believe a lot of the pharmaceuticals, you know, that people are taking and replacing cannabis with, um, there's still, you know, there's a lot of shame. People don't want to admit they're taking an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. They don't want to admit, I mean, I, I was a chronic Ambien user for 10 years and, you know, it's not something I ever talked about other than with my immediate family and my doctors, right? Just because I, I felt a lot of shame around needing Ambien to sleep at night. And I think there's, there's a similar feeling. So you sort of get this interesting stigma on both sides. You get the, the stigma on the pharmaceutical side of, you know, people not wanting to admit that they take pharmaceuticals in the first place, let alone then replacing them with a federally illegal drug like cannabis, right? So there's, I think that conversation is difficult to have versus, you know, I think alcohol, Alcohol is pretty mainstream at this point, although that's changing a bit now with um, more of the sober curious movement and some of the other trends we're seeing. But, you know, people admit, oh, I have a beer, I have a glass of wine. So to replace that with cannabis is a little bit more um, kosher, so to speak. I think then people admitting that they take pharmaceuticals and then admitting that they would might replace those with with uh, cannabis, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you touched on what I love about what Happy's doing, and I'm sure you do too, and that's why you're doing it. But talk about the purpose of helping provide cannabis that's more acceptable than like you. I know you touched on it a little bit, but it, like, are you seeing from the statistics of the, the users and uh, consumers of Happy? Is there, is it, is it more uh, female-based? I mean, what are you seeing on your end and, and how are you, you feel like you're making progress with that purpose? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to clarify, happy really is a, a beverage. It, it can be for everyone. We had as we formulated it and, you know, thought about sort of the underserved consumer. We thought about the female consumer. I will also say that the latest data shows about 59% of cannabis consumers in the state of Michigan specifically are women. So, um, and we're mimicking that trend right now with happy. We look at our, you know, some of our early sales and we look at our engagement met metrics on social platforms. It's about a 60, 40 split, um, female to male. So we're seeing a lot of engagement from women, but a lot of engagement from men too. And it really does span different age groups. I would say, you know, 25 to 45 is really the happy sweet spot right now. Um, but we are also seeing a lot of older consumers that are excited about happy. And as I mentioned before, a lot of male consumers as well in that sort of 40% range. Got it. Well, I'm over 45 and I'm male. So I follow in that, that second range. Um, but, uh, also talk about you, you know, we, you touched on this, but I'd love to dig into it further. Talk about the lack of education and cannabis that you ran into along your journey. You were talking about your personal journey before. And I remember, you saying, um, and I, you know, we've run into this and, and I've run into this, but talk about uh, how that kind of fueled your, um, I guess, a motivation in, in the industry and with happy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I came from consumer packaged goods where there's just a lot, a lot of information out there and, or, and we talked about pharmaceuticals. I thought the experience of going to a dispensary, this is how naive I was four years ago, five years ago in 2017. I thought that I would walk into a dispensary and I think a lot of consumers feel this way and it would be like going to talk to a pharmacist, right? Or it would be like going to talk to your doctor. You'd get a prescription. Like when I got my medical card, I thought I'd get a prescription for cannabis. I mean, and I know that sounds crazy now, but looking back on it, that's really sort of what my expectations as a new consumer were, right? I, I knew my prescription for Ambien was a certain milligram. It was prescribed by my physician. I went and filled that prescription and I took the dosage they told me to take. I found the you know, education piece, and I think that word is very widely used in cannabis, to be very confusing 
because there, there were no doctors in the dispensaries, right? They're bud tenders and they're going off of their own personal experience largely, many of whom, by the way, are very, very high consumers of cannabis, right? So 100 milligrams of an RSO for the bud tender I was speaking to put him to sleep. But for someone like me, it you know put me out for two days. So I think first and foremost, my expectations were of someone who was used to sort of Western medicine and the way that that is prescribed. What I quickly realized, Max, was going into these dispensaries, I, I, there was no set of rules to follow. There was no dosage that worked for everybody. There was no strain. I mean, that the whole idea that indica sativa hybrid, what strain is actually going to work for me? What, what um, delivery mechanism is going to work for me? Do I smoke it? Do I you know, are edibles better for me? I mean, it was, it was a hundred percent trial and error. And, you know, I, I think that's very different than the experience people have with doctors and pharmaceuticals and Western medicine, where generally a doctor says, I think this dosage of this medication will work for you. And if you take it the way it's prescribed, you'll have X effect, right? And in, in cannabis, there isn't that script, and so I found going in, I wasn't educated on the, the process of, of how it works to go into a dispensary. I wasn't educated on what these different strains or delivery mechanisms do. I know now, for example, that edibles you know, are digested very differently and have a very different effect and onset time than a beverage or than a smokable product. But this was all sort of self-discovery. Um, and I think what you'll find in cannabis when you talk to a lot of professionals, right, they'll say it depends. They'll say it depends on your endocannabinoid system. It depends on how you respond to certain things. And it's, it is really a lot of trial and error. However, I do believe as an industry, we could do a lot better of a job of preparing people for what they could expect and by sharing more stories of what's worked for, for people like you. And that's a lot of where I'm so excited about happy and about the future of this industry is I've had so many women come up to me and men as well and say, I use Ambien to sleep. I've heard your story. Can you help me? You know, can you help me find what might work for me? So I think there's a lot of opportunity still to be had. And it's so true. I mean, I have been consuming cannabis for a long time and I feel like I'm still trying to figure out and hone in on what works best for me. And I feel like I, you know, know quite a bit. I've you know, taking a lot of classes on green flower and kind of know, you know, a lot more than I think your average consumer for sure. And I feel like I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the best ways to use it and the different, you know, different types of cannabis and um, amounts, uh, different times. Um, so I, I think it's, it's definitely a journey. I think it's, um, it'll be really interesting. I think we're finally getting to a point where a lot more of that education is being shared and, um, so, so this is a, a really interesting time. Talk about, um, you know, you, you obviously work for grassroots. It was, uh, sounds like a heck of a two-year ride and ended up, you guys ended up selling for securely for 80, $860 million. Tell us about that two-year ride. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really hard. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled for the grassroots team and the, the exit they had and, you know, really obviously watching as a shareholder from the Curaleaf side and, and excited about their future as well. You know, it was a wild ride, Max, to build the company from, you know, starting out in, in Illinois um, with a handful of dispensaries. We had begun grow and, and retail operations in Maryland and we're just launching in Pennsylvania when I joined the company. And you know, all of those states were medical. So I would say the biggest shift I watched in the industry was really a move. And this was, you know, I mean, in Illinois primarily, um, a move from a medical state to an adult use state, right? And how quickly that shift took hold. You saw the expansion of, of dispensaries. You saw the wholesale market just absolutely pick up. It was pretty incredible. And then watching us expand to even more states, when we sold it to Curaleaf, you know, we were in 12 states. So going from three to 12 and what kind of an operation that took. Um, and, you know, coming again from the CPG background, what was always so fascinating to me was the vertical model. The fact that you owned, you know, seed to sale, 
all the way through in a state gave us a lot of opportunity in places that I think the CPG industry would love to have, namely data, right? You're producing your own products, you're selling them in your own retail. So you have data all the way through, and you're also seeing what your competitors are selling because you're you're selling their brands in your dispensaries. So I was really excited to be able to have access to a ton of first-party data in a way that I don't think the packaged goods industry has. Um, I was excited to see us test and learn new products. We launched all sorts of, you know, we were a partner. I know you've had Nancy Whiteman and she's a friend of mine on your show. Um, we produced WANA in Illinois. Cureleaf is still a partner to WANA. And, you know, that was really exciting to see the edible market just take off um, and watch the growth there. So there was, you know, there was a lot of um, excitement as adult use came into Illinois and as we expanded. And as I said, you know, for someone who comes from a marketing background, but really just loves the business side of this industry, to see how vertical operations, you know, um, can be leveraged through data, to see the growth of an adult use market um, and new form factors like edibles really take hold. It was a really exciting time um, to build grassroots and, and to be part of that growth. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you were, uh, had a perfect background for them. And you just made me realize just from other guests that we've had on the show talking about, you know, they started in cultivation and they really didn't figure it out until they had retail, until they own retail and they had those on ground so they could get the data that you're talking about, you being having a consumer goods background, really recognizing um, the advantage in the cannabis industry being vertically integrated like that. Um, so that's amazing. Talk about, you know, getting, talking about your, your background, how did your career at Kimberly Clark and, and, you know, PNG help prepare you for the cannabis industry? I mean, you've, you've talked about some of it, some of the foundational stuff, but from your perspective, like what did that do? And I'm real curious because we're always trying to identify when we try to try to fill roles people in cannabis and then people outside of cannabis to give our clients a uh, wider, you know, net or swath or slate of candidates. But how did your career at uh, Kimberly Clark and PNG help prepare you for the cannabis industry? You talked a little bit about it, but I just want to dive a little bit further in it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a slew of ways. I think one of the things I picked up from the CPG industry is it's all about repeating and scaling. And that's something that's really challenging in cannabis right now. So as you know, you have to grow in the same state that you sell, right? So there's very little scale in the industry. And so one of the things that, you know, working in packaged goods taught me was find sale where you can. So for example, things like setting out and we're doing all of this at Happy, standard operating procedures, you know, making sure we have a documented QA, QC process, anything that you can standardize in one state and very quickly repeat in another state, right? Same kind of thing for marketing. And I think there's some brands out there that are doing this very well right now. Um, toolkitting a marketing approach. CPG companies do that in order to be able to take a brand across the world globally. They'll create a toolkit of all their marketing assets. And that toolkit, it may change if you go from you know, the US to China to South Africa, but there's fundamental things that don't change about the brand, right? And so I think taking that same approach to marketing as you go into new states, having those core assets, knowing who you are as a brand, knowing what your formulations are from a product standpoint, knowing what your, your processes are and making it as repeatable and scalable as possible in an industry that again is very scale challenged, I think is one of the biggest learnings I took um, from CPG. I would say the other thing is to focus on the consumer. And so, you know, one of the, the pivots I mentioned early in our call around, you know, looking at the need state of consumers and formulating beverages for those need states is something that I would say is very sort of CPG-esque, right? We know that consumers across all categories often use cannabis for a couple key reasons and occasions. Again, I mentioned sleep. Sleep is near and dear to my heart. But again, thinking about new formats like beverage and matching those with consumer needs and occasions, you know, the, the kind of core of the consumer packaged goods industry Kimberly Clark, Proctor, Proctor's amazing at it, is really having that kind of consumer-centric um, and consumer-focused approach. So those are kind of two things, scale and, and being consumer-centric. Got it. And then so a, a curiosity that this bubbles up for me and probably people that'll be listening to this is 
having that background, what, what, how do you think it, when, when federalization uh, happens, whenever that is, uh, I mean, what, what do you see companies, um, what companies do you see uh, making the most progress um, based on what you're just talking about? What, what aspects do you think are going to be the most important when they remove the state lines um, and the federalization happens? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the challenges right now for the MSOs, and I'll be curious to see how this works, is you know they have very redundant operations in each state, right? Because um, they have to in terms of the way that cannabis is regulated today. But once mainly interstate commerce becomes you know an opportunity, that redundancy is going to need to go away, right? Because you know CPG companies are all about like a hub and spoke model, right? They want to be able to scale across states. And so they're not going to want, you know, 25 different manufacturing facilities all over the U.S. They're going to want a few key ones and key regional hubs and then be able to kind of distribute. So I think um, to me, the ones that are going to win are the ones that are, are very standardized. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of m activity and it's a funny week because there's been a lot of M&A activity in the cannabis space just this week alone, right? And I think the companies that are successful at integrating their acquisitions, standardizing their operations across states and across, you know, standard retail operations across all of their states, standard manufacturing and processing operations, standard cultivation techniques, that's difficult to do in cannabis right now. But those that are successful at it ahead of legalization, I think are going to have a jump start because because the CPG, you know, companies coming into the industry are going to, they're not going to want to buy 25 disparate companies that are all under one banner. They're going to want some level of standardization um, and kind of more of a turnkey approach where they can kind of come in and say, all right, I get your cultivation processes and techniques. I get how you guys process manufactured products, all of that. And that's from the operation side. I would say from the consumer facing lens, the strength of brands. I am a big believer in brands. I think cannabis is still so early on in the branded space, largely because it's incredibly difficult to build a national brand. Because again, you, you know, you have to have, if you're not an MSO, you have to have a partner in every single state to build that brand. So I think, um, you know, successful companies will be able to integrate their acquisitions. They'll be able to standardize all of their procedures and um, on the consumer side, they will have brands that really wins, win the hearts and minds of consumers and that feel differentiated um, in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, acquisition stuff that she is talking about, everybody is probably will be well aware of this by the time they listen to this, but Cresco is commissioning to uh, buy Columbia Care. It's a pretty big, I think Cresco has about 3,000 employees. And I think Columbia Care has about 1,500. And that's, don't don't quote me on that, but I think that's about right. So we are starting to see activity. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think with the one thing I want to jump into, we share a common passion around uh, diversity as it relates to women in cannabis. And um, you started, one of the founders of Wink, uh, the Executive Forum for Women in Cannabis is what it stands for. Tell us about your experience in founding that and your experience in um, being able to access uh, the other you know, women that you have uh, formed and continue to um, have this group going. Yeah, I love that question, Max. And it's timely. We're recording this in March and it's Women's History Month. And as I mentioned to you, you know, a lot of my impetus for getting into cannabis was sort of like testing it on myself and realizing there's a lot of women like me. Um, one of the things I found though, when I left Cureleaf in the fall of 2020 was I felt pretty alone. I'll be honest. Um, I felt like I was, you know, one of the sort of C-suite executives in the big MSOs. I didn't know a lot of other women at that level. I didn't know a lot of other women, you know, who are even senior executives in cannabis period. And I wanted to try to figure out what was next for me um, after I left Cureleaf. And in doing so, you know, I, connected with a lot of other women and, um, you know, it, it kind of developed organically into this group of executive women. Um, we meet once a month and I will tell you what's been amazing and what I've become 
sort of almost the most passionate about is helping fund and, um, you know, bring other women into the fold. So, you know, I think in cannabis, um, women founded companies in cannabis, I think this is true at large, are woefully underfunded compared to the male cannabis companies. Um, and I know there's a lot of women in this space. Um, one, a friend of mine, Wendy Berger, has done an, an amazing job on the board of GTI and as part of the Roth um, Capital Group in really pushing to help women get funded. Um, and, and that's a mantle that, you know, both as the founder of Happy, but also as a woman in this space, I want to see more women on the cap table. I want to see more women um, on boards of the some of these top cannabis companies. I think, you know, when you you build diverse leadership teams, and this goes for, for women, I mean, even more so for women of color um, and diverse women, you know, diversity of opinion leads to better products, it leads to better work, it leads to better business practices. And I think it's become, it's always been a passion of mine, but watching the industry over the past few years develop and seeing how few women leaders there are out there and how important women are to this industry to the future of this industry. You know, women consumers are the fastest growing segment. So it's important that we have women cultivators, that we have women processors, that we have women executives and women bud tenders, you know, all of, at all ends of this, of this category is industry. Having women in it is crucial for the growth of the industry. Um, I think, you know, women like me, I want to see when I walk into a dispensary, more female bud tenders who understand microdosing, who understand what it's like to have children at home and have a hard time sleeping, right? I think those dynamics are really important for growing the category. And so um, my women's group, you know, in Wink has been a wonderful um, kind of group of women that we supported each other. We've actually helped fund one another's companies. Um, you know, we've placed, there's a lot of goes on, obviously, um, placed women executives, placed women on boards. Um, and this has all sort of happened organically. And I'm just, you know, really proud and, and humbled to be around such, such a smart group um, that are kind of lifting each other up. And, and I love that. Awesome. I mean, this is, uh, I love, I violently agree. So I won't go through everything you just said, because it's, it's amazing. But I think the other thing to recognize, you and I touched on this, is it feels like right at this point in time, maybe we might be going not in, you know, not quickly in the, the right direction. There's been some um, women that have dropped out of the cannabis industry lately. And so I love bringing awareness to this, that we've got some work to do uh, and for really good reason. Um, so uh, I appreciate, you know, us touching on this and continuing to talk about this. We're very passionate. We've been trying to bring as many women on the podcast, just, you know, to, to help bring awareness to this. Um, so this is, um, such awesome, uh, perspective, uh, coming from a woman in, uh, in cannabis. Um, tell us, this is getting a little bit more personal, but I, I love, uh, what's the best thing going on in your life right now. And then I want to get into the fact that you're in Nicaragua. And if anybody's listening to this and there's a little bit of, um, challenge with the connection and we can obviously hear you and we'll edit it as best we can. But um, uh, Lisa and her family are in Nicaragua, but first off, just off the top of your head, what's the best thing going on in your life right now? Best thing going on in my life right now is getting to live out this crazy adventure in Nicaragua with my family and still um, be able to make incredible uh, products in the U S market and cannabis. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I have to be honest, Max, like this is the dream. Um, you know, I, I spent 15 years in Chicago. I am not a winter person. I know you're in Scottsdale, so you'll appreciate that. We've talked about it. And um, I would say, you know, you know, watching my kids who are about to be 14 and 12, wide-eyed in rural Nicaragua, um, walking comfortably into places where they're the only English speakers, they're the only people that, that look like them. Um, and feeling comfortable, the, the, the joy and the wonder when we run into a aardvark or an armadillo on the road and, you know, it's, they've never seen a Mexican porcupine or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I've, I've recently in my forties <laughs> taken up surfing, which is a humbling sport to try to learn when you're, uh, um, our age, I'll use our, cause I think you and I are, uh, this similar generation and, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's 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 pretty amazing. Um, I will say being out, it's the best head clearer I've ever had. Um, you can't have a phone. You can't do anything other than worry about the next wave. It's physically punishing. And um, it's just an incredible kind of, I, I love the ocean. I love being near the water. And I'm just incredibly grateful to be able to have those experiences and then be able to jump on the phone with you and talk about, you know, how important it is to, um, you know, build women up in the canvas industry. Right. So I, I think the best thing going on in my, my life right now is, um, finally getting to a point for me where, you know, you know, I, I truly can do stuff I'm passionate about, like surfing and living in this, you know, warm weather place and having all these adventures and still make an impact in industry like cannabis, um, and, and really get to do it both. So that's, that's the long answer to your question. No, that's the perfect, that's the perfect answer to my question. You're getting me excited. Our family, we spent a lot of time on the lake in Idaho for the summer and that's coming up and we do a lot of wake surfing behind the boat, what we do. And so you're getting me excited and uh, you're right. I, I have had the chance to learn how to surf when I was younger. And I think uh, nobody realizes how much paddling and work goes in to getting around the waves in order to get on a wave uh, to actually ride it. So I think, uh, I think it's a, it's an amazing uh, sport and, and super fun in so many ways. Um, and it looks, you know, coming with, with your perspective, tell the audience how you actually ended up there. I think that was interesting when you talked. Yeah, I, um, we came down in 2018 and um, really just kind of fell in love with the country. And when COVID struck, um, I will say, you know, we were in Chicago and, and, and moved up to Michigan um, where we had an, a, a home. And, you know, by the the fall, it looked like the, my, you know, kids were online and weren't going anywhere. And we just went, you know what, we're going to pick up in the height of COVID pre even vaccines being available. It was December of 2020. And on kind of a whim, we moved down here for three months. And honestly, I have never felt my family um, kind of embrace something so much as collective. Um, you know, we were spending an enormous amount of time together yet not not really all over each other um and we took up surfing as a family we couldn't believe the adventures we were able to have um as a, as a family and so we ended up staying for six months through may of 2021 um and then came back down here and my, my kids are in school in nicaragua right now so we, we do have a residence in the u.s and we go back and forth but i will say that you know kind of looking at things through a global lens and this is relevant to cannabis too i you know, there is, and, and I would say, you know, Cureleaf's done a great job at starting to look at the European markets and the global markets. Um, and I am a global marketer at heart. That's what I did at Kimberly Clark. I have a lot of passion for different cultures. I have a lot of passion for, for travel um, and adventure. And I think that goes hand in hand with, you know, we, we focus a lot and I talk about a lot the Canadian and US cannabis markets. But if you think about the future, you know, it is a, it, it will be a global market. Um, and just getting to spend some time in, in Nicaragua and be so far away from, um, kind of a lot of the materialism, for example, in the U S is, is really refreshing. So it was a, a, a bit of a COVID ex escape plan that turned into, um, something much more meaningful for us. So awesome. So awesome. And I mean, just looking at your kind of bio and looking at your background, I mean, this is coming from a person that spent maybe the majority of your career and maybe life in New York and Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, I was a city person um, through and through. I mean, it, it, you know, I cut my teeth in New York City. I grew up in Washington, D.C., so I'll start there. Cut my teeth in New York City, went to college in, in Philadelphia, um, spent 15 years in Chicago in the city, always living in the city. So the wholesale change from, from that life to rural Nicaragua, and I say rural, you know, we regularly see pigs and horses and, and cows on the road. A traffic jam is often caused by animals, not by uh, other cars. So there are no traffic lights anywhere near us, let alone paved roads, right, for the most part. So it's a really different life, and um, it's definitely not for everybody, but for me, it has been so freeing. 
and so magical that, um, and it given me a lot of perspective too, uh, that I, I, you know, again, feel grateful to have had the opportunity and the flexibility to do this. A hundred percent. I, I have been lucky enough to travel to, uh, probably over 35 countries and just seeing other cultures really helps put things in perspective when, especially when you're from the United States, um, for, on a personal basis, like what, what personal habits or daily rituals that I know now that you live in uh, Nicaragua, it may be a little different, but have turned you into the effective, you know, leader you are today. Are there things that you do that you recommend other people to do to be very productive and uh, to get a lot done as a leader and um, just as a, as a, as a person? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, it's definitely changed over the years. I will say one thing I've learned is I'm a better, a leader, a better, um, executive, a better mom, um, when I take, you know, that time for myself. Right. So whether that's in the morning, um, having some moments, I, I wish I could tell you I meditate, but I don't, um, that's difficult. Those things are difficult, but any doing something for myself, whether it be, you know, 30 minutes on a yoga mat, whether it be a walk, you know, being out in nature, um, whatever that may be, uh, you know, for me lately, you know, taking an hour or two in a uh, late in the day, a sunset surf, I come back with fresh ideas. I think, um, you know, taking that sort of space and time, I, I've always thought I had to be the most productive. If I squeezed every ounce out of every single day, that's how I was going to be the best executive that I could be the best leader that I could be. And I've actually found that it's the opposite, that I need to give myself at least an hour a day to do something that I'm really passionate about or to take time for myself, to take time away from technology, by the way, which is, again, another brilliant byproduct of surfing. You cannot have your phone in the water. So you're naturally getting that break. Um, so for me, so for me lately, it's been, I would say I used to run. Um, I don't do that so much here, um, but I've kind of replaced that same mentality of, going out for an hour and taking a run and being in the fresh air with getting on my surfboard and just losing myself in the ocean for an hour. And I find that I come back a better person for it. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. What in kind of going into uh, hiring in uh, the cannabis industry, since you've seen so much outside of the cannabis industry, what type of leaders make the biggest positive impact in such an emerging industry like cannabis? It's a great question. I mean, I think um, there's a couple things. Number one is I, I'm I'm an empathetic leader in that I I try to lead and understand you know the different dynamics of people on my team. I think early on in my career, I always felt like I wanted you know my team to be more like me, um, and I think that's sort of a natural inclination, especially when you're young. And I quickly realized nurturing people's innate strengths. Um, is really critical. So I think that comes from a, a place of empathy. And I think that, that's a, you know, a, a very important piece. The other thing I will say is I, I see a pretty big lack of operational leadership in cannabis. Um, and I think it's, I think it's sorely needed. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of talent, the front end of M&A, deal-making, real estate, finance, but not operational leadership. How do you operate a company? How do you, and it's some of what we've talked about before in terms of scale, but I also throw in things like human resources, right? You know, it is, as these companies grow, you have more talent to manage. You have more, and, and people are not cookie cutter, right? They're very different. So you need the strength of HR leadership in these um, cannabis companies. You need the strength of operations operators who know how to run a manufacturing facility, who know how to run a cultivation facility, who know how to scale a business across multiple states, but using, again, all the same, um, the same processes and things like that. So I'd say, I think in cannabis right now, um, having, you know, empathetic leaders are always needed, but operational leadership, I think, uh, could, could definitely be strengthened. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You know, I've seen a lot uh, with a lot of the companies we worked with in the past where they bring folks in from bigger companies that have a bunch of processes in place. And then the leaders get there and they struggle a little bit because they're not used to the having to be so scrappy and, and uh, they're not used to not having as many resources. 
but I think all that, you know, kind of holds true in what you're saying too. I'm going to move on to the final kind of segment uh, at the Wise at Wise Scouts. We have a leadership model. We believe the best leaders on earth consistently show proof points in the following three areas: being a relentless learner, developing others, and driving results. So I'm going to ask questions, a couple questions, maybe one or two in each one of these areas. First one, starting with learning relentlessly. Um, uh, who or what has been the biggest teacher? Um, that's, that's a great one. I think, um, I'm someone who learns by doing, and I think that's a, so for me, the biggest teacher has probably been, you know, some of what we've kind of covered already, but, um, throwing myself into uncomfortable conversations, um, uncomfortable situations by trying something new, doing something that scares me every day. Um, that's how I learn. I, I love to read and I appreciate, you know, sort of the academic nature of what we do, but I find that I retain information far more from, from doing. So for me, you know, even the step we talked about from moving from Kimberly Clark into cannabis or getting a medical card and my journey of actually going into dispensaries and trial and error, that is, that is how I, as Lisa Hurwitz learn. Um, and, uh, I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm a learn by doing person. Got it. And what is, what has been your biggest life learning to date? I know that's a big question, but is there anything that sticks out most to you on your biggest life learning to date? Yeah. I, I, you know, one of the ones that has come up for me a lot lately is like, there is no one right path. Um, I think, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts and with others is that I grew up in sort of this, you know, there's a linear way to live your life, right? You, you go to, you go to school, you go to college, you go to a good college, hopefully maybe you go to grad school, then you go get a great job. Then you climb up the corporate track. You have a family and kids. And it took me a long time to learn that, you know, that doesn't, isn't necessarily the right path for everybody. Um, and for me, the biggest lesson has been, you know, if, if your gut is telling you something is a little off, it probably is. And it's okay to go right when everybody goes left. Um, I, I, it's been a work in progress over the past five years. I, I would say leaving consumer packaged goods and sort of like a career track in, in what I thought I was supposed to do to dive into a crazy industry like cannabis taught me I'll land on my two feet. And then coming, leaving the US and coming down to Nicaragua and throwing my kids and my family into this completely new environment and the magic that has come of it shows me I don't have to live in New York or Chicago or LA or to, you know, to be successful. Um, and so I think the greatest life lesson I've learned thus far is there is no one path. And if you can, you know, take some risks and, and follow your heart a little bit, um, you know, good, good things, good things come of it. Awesome. Those are some wise words. And then when it comes to developing others, who or what developed you the most in your life? Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, I've had the benefit of having some fabulous bosses in my, uh, my career. And so in terms of my, you know, professional development, um, I've had some great coaches you know, who have kind of known that balance of, of guidance, but also of, um, you know, kind of staying hands off and, and letting you kind of learn. And again, as I mentioned, I'm someone who learns through do. Um, but I've had wonderful mentors and leaders in, um, you know, my, my CPG days that really, really were fantastic in terms of, um, you know, guiding me and teaching me. Awesome. And then from a driving results standpoint, what would you say your biggest success to date is in your career or life? I would imagine everybody will say they're kids, right? I, I like <laughs> to think, I like to think my kids are turning out well, but they're 14 and 12, right? So, um, you know, the, the jury's still out, but I, I think we're doing the best. <laughs> We're doing the best we can. Um, you know, look, I, I'm incredibly proud of what we built at Grassroots. I mean, look, I, I think the 
the proof is in the pudding, right? You have a, an exit like, like, you know, in a sale, like we did at Cureleaf. But I, I'm more proud of the team we built, the brands we built, the culture we built. Um, I still, you know, I am a leader who I, I've been accused of having my team almost be too loyal, right? Um, and, you know, I've heard they walk on coals for you, but I, I, I build very deep relationships with the people I work with and for and who work for me. And I think that was, there was a special time at grassroots. It was early on in, in the industry. Um, we leveraged, you know, I talked about data early in the conversation. We leveraged data to really understand our markets, our consumers, to launch really smart products, to expand um, to, you know, key new locations um, and to really build a, a strong vertical operation that, you know, to this day, I would put up against any one of the MSOs. I think we had, we had some incredible, um, you know, operations, some incredible talents some incredible teams. And, you know, I, I feel very grateful for being part of, of that experience. So that, that probably building that, that marketing team, building out our innovation pipeline um, and, and really building up that company as one of the early executives, I think was one of my greatest achievements. Awesome. No, and congrats on that. That that sounds amazing. How do our, uh, I'm going to start winding it down. You've been amazing. Uh, speaking of kind of going, flying by the seat of your pants a little bit, we've had a little bit of internet issues, but we've worked through them and we'll edit through them. So I appreciate Lisa, uh, you, you know, pushing through and, and uh, appreciate all your time. You should have wonderful insights. How do our listeners get a hold of you and support uh, you and the happy brand? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at Lisa Hurwitz at, uh, on LinkedIn. And, and as you mentioned, Max, from toilet paper to rolling papers, you'll know it's me. If you see that, you see that line, there probably aren't many others um, <laughs> <laughs> with that tagline. So you, you can get me there. Um, happyhourdrink.com. That's happy with an I, uh, both on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, as well as .com. You can go to our website. Please reach out to us. If you are in the state of Michigan, go to our store locator. Please try Happy. would love to hear your feedback. Um, we're building up a group of happy ambassadors right now. We have some happy super fans already and would love for any of your listeners to be one of them. So please look us up. And um, yeah, thank, thanks for having me, Max. This was a joy. Oh, of course, of course. And let's uh, let's make sure we get the happy brand to Arizona. So anybody listening and uh, let's get this moving across the uh, states, and get it out to Arizona so we can all partake out here. And I'm going to start wrapping up. You've been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at yscouts.com. Lisa, again, thank you so much. You're amazing. Thanks for fighting through some connecting ish connection issues, but uh, we'll clean it up and this would be wonderful. We appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me, Max. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.